But I've also got some notes on my computer next to you, so I can see you and I can see my notes. Oh, you're growing up. Oh, look at that, eh? Look at that. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who pod with me, Sai, and with my usual partner in crime, time, Dalek dodging, nonsense, and normal standard drunken hungover recordingness, Mr. Dan Griffin. How hungover are you today, my friend? Not as hungover as the last two recordings, which is quite an achievement because at the time of recording, it's the day after the day after WrestleMania night one, and, and things got a little bit out of hand. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyone but I blame, who... I blame Tanner, so. <laughs> anyone who listens to us here on the Doctor Who pod who isn't aware yet, which I'd be very surprised if there is anyone who's not aware, uh, me and Dan and various other people that we know are very, very big wrestling fans. This weekend, we're recording this episode, is WrestleMania. We're kind of halfway through, I guess, Dan, because we have night one and night two. So we're kind of, as of recording, Sunday afternoon. So recovering from night one and preparing for night two, I guess, mate. Yeah, we're we're taking we've got the halftime break to recuperate and get another night of uh, of madness. So yeah. I'm very very excited. If not uh, if not a little fragile, <laughs> brilliant stuff. Yeah, both of us up to well, well gone five with um, shall we say slightly over the recommended daily allowance of our core units in our system. Just just slightly. I was fucked. <laughs> Okay, let's let's not beat around the bush then. Let's not try to be subtle at all. Fair enough. (laughs) Today's episode of the Doctor Who pod, we are back in Classic Who, and we're back in a period of Classic Who that is, I suppose, a little bit more controversial than some of the other periods, as we're looking at a Colin Baker story here, where, I mean, it was was quite quite an odd time for Doctor Who in general. It was a bit more of a violent show that had a few complaints made against it. Colin Baker is quite often he comes out at the low end of people's favorite doctors countdowns and so on if not the low end potentially bottom of the list quite often but uh, i chose this this story that we're covering today attack of the cybermen which first aired in january 1985 purely because i'd seen it recently when i was picking and it was between this one and another story i believe it was vengeance on varos was the other one i was, I was toying with before i go over cyberman story just for that familiarity because we're going into a period where obviously dan you've never seen any of this before and i've seen incredibly small amounts of colin baker as a doctor so it's relatively new for the pair of us in a way i mean what are your initial thoughts i guess on on this 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 setup, I guess, in '85, Colin Baker as the Doctor, the intro, and, and all the usual things we kind of touch upon straight away. Well, uh, we'll start with the with the start before I get into my thoughts on Colin Baker. Yeah, uh, I like the I like the intro. The kaleidoscope sort of effect was cool. Uh, they got the face in the middle. I'm not sure about the transition from just you know normal face Doctor to the smiling. Um, yeah. But you know they, they tried it. It wasn't awful. I didn't hate it, so that's fine. And the the logo, uh, the the lettering, it was it was a sort of thing that looked really cool as like an, an enamel uh, pin badge. Okay, yeah. So I really liked the intro. It was it was up there with with one of the better ones for me. Mm. Yeah, what, what yeah, I agree. Of it? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like the sort of I suppose Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, uh, Interspersed McCoy, that kind of eighties almost like neon graphic-esque sort of colouring to it. It's quite... It is very 80s, I suppose, very colourful. But I like that. Mm. So, yeah, I thought that was quite good. I thought that was quite good. And with regards to the moving face in the intro, we get that as well when we saw Sylvester McCoy. He actually throws a wink in there as well, Sylvester oh, McCoy on his one. I didn't you know, notice and, that. Yeah, and it's, it's something that I never really paid much attention to until you've literally just said. And I suppose it is a bit odd, isn't it? Because he does go. Because Colin Baker's grin is quite a big cheesy grin. Let's be fair. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it, that's what made it so noticeable. A, a little cheeky wink isn't obviously isn't that noticeable. But mm. when you're going from you know your, your regular sort of quite stern face to this like psychotic Joker esque clown's yeah. mouth, <laughs> it, 
it's uh, it, it's pretty uh, pretty jarring. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Colin Baker himself, then he left the show under a bit of a cloud. If certain stories are to be believed, he he there's interviews that he's done originally going back away, saying that he was made to be a scapegoat for fallen ratings. He was. Some say he was sacked, some say he was fired, uh, some say he quit, sorry. He refused to go back and do a regeneration scene for Sylvester McCoy. And there was a lot of bad blood between Colin Baker and the BBC for quite a while after this. He has gone on and done a lot of audio stuff for Doctor Who, which I've not heard any of. But mm. uh, and he, he does a lot of conventions now, in, in you know, sci-fi conventions and Comic-Cons and all that sort of stuff. And openly states he regrets how he behaved in that time. All that aside, Baker as the Doctor... The, the clothes, the get-up, the hair, and so on. What were your thoughts? I mean, we'll get into this this two-part story in a moment, but what are your thoughts having watched now effectively effectively 90 minutes or so of Colin Baker as the Doctor here? He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> this this version of the Doctor is a dick. He's, he's arrogant. He's obviously going through some shit in his head that he won't face up to as, as Perry keeps... You know, keeps calling him out on it, but the, the, he's just incredibly unlikable. He's arrogant, mm. but not. It's not the, the the sort of well-timed, amusing, warranted arrogance. He's he's just a cock about everything he does, and it was a real weird, jarring dynamic between him and Perry because Perry's obviously struggling with the regeneration from Davidson into Baker, but in doing so, she's constantly digging and jabbing and saying, well, you're not, you're not how you used to be. You're not how you used to be. And then alternating between that and asking him just to slow down and get help, which is sort of the right thing to do, to slow down and take stock and figure out this stuff because you're just going off in a whirling dervish of bullshit and, and trying to ignore the fact that he's clearly unstable and acting like a twat. Mm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I don't know how much of it you're aware of, but I mean, this is quite early in Colin Baker's run. As you said, he's he's still suffering from issues through his regeneration. Perry keeps hinting at it and so on. When he regenerated, he actually attacked Perry. It's quite a graphic scene. He, he strangled her on the TARDIS floor and so on. So there's yeah. that kind of, I suppose, edginess in their dynamic as well. Especially early on, the Doctor says, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you and so on. It's kind of almost like a throwback to that moment that happened when he first regenerated, I think. Yeah, it's it was just a very easy to dislike mm. portrayal of the Doctor, and I think I don't think it's Colin Baker's fault. I think the fault is in the script and in the direction. It the whole thing from with the clothes and and the way the where the dialogue's written, the way he's been instructed to play the character, it's like they're deliberately trying to move away from Davison uh, from Peter Davidson, and take the Doctor in this direction. So if he was scapegoated, then it's complete crap because he's doing the best with what he was given. And what he was given was to make the doctor essentially a bit of a villain. Yeah. The, the phrase that pops into my mind and I suppose it's very comic book esque, I suppose, but it's an anti-hero. It's like, he's, he's the sort of bad guy, but you root for him kind of, that's it's almost like what they were trying to do, but didn't quite hit the mark for me. Oh, they missed it by a country mile. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not one of my, uh, not one of my favourite uh, portrayals of the Doctor by any stretch, mm. and I can see where people have been coming from. It's, it left sort of, yeah, it, it, it had its moments, um, you know, bit of the old sort of John Pertwee kung fu and, and bits like you know bits like that. That was that was quite fun. But as you've hinted at on previous episodes, the, the willingness to resort to violence and guns and and all the rest of it was very anti-Doctor Who, it, it, it is the, I think it is that they've said okay, this is what Doctor Who has been here, and they've sat with a bunch of idiots in a room and said, how do we take the Doctor forward? What do people want to see? What people want to see is more Doctor Who. They want to see more of the Doctor. They don't want to, they don't want to see him do a 180 and switch everything. They want that comfort blanket. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And the ratings did drop dramatically throughout this time i mean we talk ratings dramatically and so on the numbers from the 80s in comparison to what tv shows get now are, are, are completely different because of how people consume their television how television how they, how they consume their entertainment is completely different you know back back in the day when this was being aired you only had 
four channels. So it was completely different kettle of fish to how things are now. But this was this here, the the attack of the Cybermen, was now on very, very close to being nine million viewers um, for for the two episodes. On average, I think it was like 8.8, 8.9 million. Mm. The rest of Colin Baker's time didn't clear the 8 million mark. It dropped off dramatically. And this was the very beginning of a, a series. So it dropped off and kept dropping and dropping. And then in Sylvester McCoy's first season, the ratings again were not brilliant. But then the, the stories weren't great either in his first season. Mm. The second season it picked up. And it's a shame because when it was actually cancelled in 89 it seemed like it had turned itself back around again, but it was too late. And you can almost see the issues developing here, which I think led to the, the, the sort of goodbye, you know, being said in 89, I think. Yeah. Well, to put it in wrestling terms, this is WCW under Kevin Nash. Um, <laughs> and then when you get to Sylvester McCoy, it's like WCW in 2000, 2001. There is some good to like in there, but, it's too late to turn it around. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a real shame. Even down to, we'll get to it, but things like the f- fucking about with the TARDIS's chameleon circuit and, and things like that, we, with, with the blue boxes already iconic. Mm-hmm. You've got it changing into a pipe organ and, uh, and, a, and a little, I don't know, grandfather clock and stuff like that. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep yeah. the box. See, that, I think that was, I don't, I don't know if I carried on in the next story. I'm fairly certain it didn't. I think this was mm. just done as almost like a comedy thing for this particular episode. And I mean, again, this is what I did want to touch upon. We spoke about in a previous episode, the, the, the round things, didn't we? On the wall of the TARDIS. Yes. And I said, I'm fairly certain there's something in the eighties where you see what they are. Cause we were discussing what they could possibly be. And I said, I'm fairly certain there's a serial in the eighties where you see what they are. Cause a couple of them are popped open and so on. It's this one. <laughs> yeah, and I gave you far too much credit because I assumed you'd done that on purpose. No, not at all. I started watching it and going, "We spoke about this. <laughs> Brilliant." <laughs> you could have, you could have styled that out and made yourself look incredible. No, oh, mate, I'm, I'm nothing if not honest, and you know, not very professional. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Perry. Then before we get into sort of looking a bit more into the story itself, Perry as a companion. Again, I'm, I'm assuming the first time you've really experienced Perry being involved in any way shape or form again yep. what are your thoughts here uh, first off I, I looked at Perry and I was thinking I know her from somewhere it's a weird thing I actually remembered her from Blackadder's Christmas Carol where she played Millicent uh, oh, <laughs> a couple okay. of years after this so that that was uh, that was the first one that I got out of the way Perry Perry's decent uh, Perry's got a bit about her she's She's not the typical sort of damsel in distress sort of thing. She 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 is that at this you know points in the show, but it's it's only when you know people have got the drop on and stuff like that. But she is still she's got a bit of fight and a bit of spark, and she's not afraid to give a you know give a bit of just give a bit of gob and an answer back and tell the doctor when he's being a dick. Those are all the good bits. But she just at some point when it, it's the the bickering got on my nerves in this. Yeah, between her and the doctor, and I don't know if that's something that continues through or if it's just dealing with the regeneration. But the dynamic between the two was not great. And I know, I know that was intentional, mm. and it, to some extent, maybe had to be with the regeneration thing. But when you see later on how Clara deals with Capaldi, uh, you know, the regeneration from Smith into Capaldi, that was done just so much better. And I know they had they had maybe a bit more to work with. You know, in, term, in terms of budget, or maybe it was a better writing team or what, but it just, all, I, all I could keep thinking, and maybe this is unfair, all I could keep thinking was that they could have done this so much better. Yeah. But yeah, Perry, herself, Perry herself, I can't really fault them. It's a, it's a decent performance from uh, from Nicola Bryant. Um, it was it was blatantly obvious they were trying for a little bit of sex cells. <laughs> yes. Which is yeah, another thing that's so. very... Um, Sort of very not Doctor Who, if you like. Well, um, in the eighties, in the eighties, you had a bit of it, didn't you? I mean, Tegan uh, with Peter Davidson and so on. The, the lady who played Tegan, I mean, it was Jeanette Fielding, I think was her name. Correct. People will be screaming at their podcast players now because I've probably got that wrong. But I have no, anyway. I have no idea. Okay, <laughs> um, she said that she was wearing certain things given to her from a kind of sex sales standpoint. Perry kind of took it to the next level again. But I suppose you can go back also to the likes of Leela. I mean, she wore barely anything in certain episodes with, um, <laughs> with Tom Baker back in the 70s and so on. So I suppose oh, right. there are moments when it is there, but 
with Perry, I think it's very much a case of, for want of a better term, and I apologise to people listening, but it's very much literally thrust in your face, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, um, we've got we've got we've got an unlikable doctor and crappy writing, but here's some cleavage. Yeah, yeah, bang on. Yeah, it's, bang on. Yeah, it, that's that's very much what it felt like, and but it takes take nothing away from Nicola Bryant, talented actress. Mm. Um, Beautiful woman, to be honest, let's be fair. But yeah, it, it was all a bit transparent in what they were trying to do. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, it's going to be interesting as well with regards to Perry, the character, because I mean, I'll be honest, in, in this serial, I I wasn't a big fan. I mm. don't I don't think she really contributed a great deal to the story. She was just kind of always present and, and would have the odd line here and there that was having a dig at the Doctor or a dig at the character Lytton, who will come to you shortly, and, and so on. But I don't think she contributed masses. She was just always just kind of there. However, we are going to see Perry again in a, a, one of the future episodes of the Doctor Who pod because yeah. she is with Peter Davidson in the story that I've chosen when we go look at Davidson, which will probably be the last selection I make because it's one of my favourite stories. Okay, And I'm going to be quite intrigued now having watched this back to see the dynamic between Perry and the doctor when Davidson was the doctor in comparison, because I, I like Perry, but didn't like her here. Okay. So I'm, so I'm wondering if it is the dynamic with, with the sixth doctor in itself, potentially. I don't know. I think it is that because the, the dynamic in this was just made, it, it made Pete, it made the doctor more unlikable mm. and it made it sort of, it kind of, overshadowed the good points of Perry. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair. I mean, in this serial, I suppose, again, you, you look at how she's dressed and so on. I mean, she's in these shorts, she's in this very tight, almost wrestling-style material top that is very low-cut and quite... It, it's obvious, she, you know, it, it's... Potentially, they've given her a size too small just to make sure that they're getting what they want <laughs> from it. Uh, I mean, and then you look at the other side of the coin, this story is very much dominated by, I suppose, the male characters in the piece, the Doctor, Lytton, some of the criminals that he encounters and so on. And Perry's just kind of always there. To me, it comes across a little bit like if you buy a really expensive vase or some nice flowers with Perry in this serial. Quite nice to look at for a while, but doesn't really contribute anything to the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think that's a, a touch unfair um there are there are points where Perry where Perry's in peril um you know with like when they're, they're going down into the uh, into the sewers where she's in peril so the doctor has to take out one of the fake coppers oh, but then yeah. Perry but then Perry manages to to get the gun off off the guy mm. on her own the, the, there's more to the, there is more to Perry than than we see in this serial and she, she gets to sort of show in flashes and, and with bits like that but um I kind of get where you're coming from. In a lot of the time, she does feel like more of an accessory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, I don't have memories of Perry being that way. So watching her back here and being that way, I'm thinking, do I remember it wrong? And I'm getting my memory adjusted now with our watch back, or is it just for this serial? So it's going to be quite interesting, as I said, when we go back to the fifth Doctor and Peter Davidson and have a look at that to see how she gets on there as well. I'm quite looking forward to that now. I'm looking forward to seeing Perry in a different serial with a different Doctor and yeah. and, and basically seeing the, what, what I suppose would be, what I suppose I'd call the, the, the proper Perry, whatever that yeah. means. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And basically then, so our, our story is, it's quite, I suppose, if you, if you don't know the, the, the history of some Doctor Who, this can be quite confusing because not a lot is explained. There's a lot thrown back to Cybermen tales from the past, whereas if you've not seen it, you don't always get references straight away until somebody else explains something later on and so on. Mm. But ultimately, I enjoyed this in a weird kind of messy way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of. There were some the throwbacks to uh, to tell us that we'll, that will come to, and I was obviously connecting it to um, to the uh, the Patrick Troughton. Yes, uh, yes. Serial that we watched. Again, I thought you'd done intentionally, but obviously not. Nope. Um, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that stuff like that was sort of very good in isolation, but the, the whole story was so disjointed. I could see what they were going for. What they wanted was to have a couple of narrative threads, three narrative threads, with the Doctor and Perry, the diamond robbers, 
mm-hmm. and the, the the slave workers on Telos. They wanted to have those three narrative story, those three narratives converge, which is fine in principle, but it was executed so badly. Um, it was all over the place, non just garbled crap. Yeah, I mean, messy is is the the, the sort of word, the, the description that keeps popping in my head because it is messy. It, it is like you said, it's all over the place. It's garbled. And then, I, I suppose the first episode. I mean, I suppose we should come to that as well, because these episodes are forty-five minutes long. In future releases, they on, on some formats they have been edited back to being the the sort of twenty-three, twenty-four minute episodes, and there's four of them. But as this initially came out, and on BritBox, where I'm rewatching this, they are in the form that they first broadcast on the BBC in two forty-five minute episodes. Now that time-wise is the same, but it felt shorter in a way. Each episode, well, I don't know about shorter. Uh, to me, each episode was a bit of a chew. Okay. Um, it it felt a lot longer than than forty-five minutes. I'd have been much happier with it being split into four twenty to twenty-five minute episodes. That I think that'd have been much more dige- uh, digestible. Um, ah, see, that's really interesting. But then I, I didn't really like what I was. I didn't really like the Doctor. Mm. Perry was fine. Got on me. Got on me tits a bit. The Diamond Stealers storyline would just it went on for so long. And they're thinking, what is the point? When when are they going to get to the point? Yeah, that they're leading to something, but they're just dragging it out for time. Just get to the point. Yes. Then so yeah, that's why it all it all made a bit of a. Bit of a truth. The second episode was was better when things started to well happen. <laughs> oh, that, again, that's so interesting because to me, I'm I agree with you on so many things. It's garbled, it's messy, it's all over the place. There's you do sit there at times thinking, what's the point? Get to the point, and so on. But I'm the other way round. I enjoyed the first episode more than the second, and then I quite enjoyed the 45 minute format, and it felt quicker to me. Than watching four separate episodes. Yeah, I mean, it's different structure, different folks, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you, you said you've watched it recently. You, I think we're going to differ wildly in our assessments at the end. Oh um, no! Yeah, but, potentially. Um, it was. But it, it just took. It took me forever to make my notes. Mm. Now I've had a few of these where I've gone through it a fair clip because I've been enjoying what I've watching. I've been able to write everything down, lickety split and done this every time i paused it to make notes i, I wasn't that bothered about pressing play again okay <laughs> so I mean, you know I don't, the, way, the way i make my notes doesn't help in, you know making it feel long but when it's good and when i'm engaged i'll be straight on right play carry on carry on carry on carry on this i was pausing making my notes oh what's on what's on my phone have i got a notification oh that's good oh god i've been scrolling twitter for five minutes i best get back to it mm. Okay. <laughs> just Again, that's really just, just, yeah. It just, like I said, there were, it sounds like I'm being completely negative. There were bits to like in this, but it, it just did not grip me. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, and again, it's it seems to be an opinion that many people shared because people watched this and didn't come back. It it lost, mm. you know, I suppose the best part of two million viewers, one and a half million or whatever, in the course of two weeks. So it's, it's an opinion. I'm, I think Dan, that many people. Back in 1985, would agree with. <laughs> my, my opinions have caught up to 1985. That's good news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nearly in the 90s now, pal. <laughs> well, I'll, get, I'll get there one day. I'll be modern. <laughs> uh, uh, what we'll do like, with regards to to discussing the plot and the story and so on, I think we'll just kind of very briefly skirt across the rough idea of what's going on because there is a lot that goes on that's not relevant to the story. And I don't want us to get bogged down with too much of uh, sort of background nonsense that really isn't that relevant, like like the diamond robbing aspect. Well, so ju- just one thing to mention on the diamond uh, the diamond thing. Uh, one of the guys in there who played Griffiths is a fellow called Brian Glover, and you could, okay. you could tell that he had already been in movies because um, he was in uh, he was in Kez. Uh, he was Mister Sugden in oh, Kez, right? Um, he was acting for quite a while. He, I know him from Alien Three, of all things. Uh, you might know him from uh, as Mister Rottweiler from Bottom. Oh my God! Yes, and I didn't he's even also twig. 
he was Leon Harris in World of Sport in World of Sport Wrestling. He was a wrestler. You're kidding me. That is Leo, the man from Paris, Leon Harris, who was from Barnsley. He's a World of Sport wrestler. Oh my goodness, that's insane! Have you have you seen have you seen the Leon the Leon, Leon Harris Les Kellett match? If not, I'll link you it. Yes, um, send me a link. Because he's phenomenal, but you can tell that that guy is a, is a level above him and the guy who played Lytton yes. were fantastic. Yeah, Lytton to me is the star of this show. I mean, basically, give you people a rough idea. Listening, we start the story with workmen under the set uh, in the sewers. Something's not right. They get attacked. We then get to see Lytton and his. He's very well spoken, intelligent. He comes across quite intelligent anyway, and he's hiring some sort of, I suppose, Cockney style lower level criminals to help him rob diamonds. But this is a ploy just to get in the sewers and get towards where the Cybermen are. And he's kind of jumping around all over the place, literally in the first 10 minutes with this. Mm. But Lytton is, I suppose, a, a, quite a weird rarity in, in Classic Who, in that he's a reoccurring character but doesn't pop up very often. He came, he was in one other serial as Lytton, which is the Resurrection of the Daleks, which was a Peter Davidson story. Now, I've seen Resurrection of the Daleks, but I cannot remember Lytton in it. So I obviously didn't pay that much attention. So <laughs> not like you? No, mate, no, no. Or, or I paid loads of attention, and then I slept, and I forgot everything I did the previous day. <laughs> you went through a soft reboot, and it wiped the memory. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but listen to me was so good. The guy who played him, he, he could have been another master type recurring villain. He was that yes. good. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Or he could have been simply the whole Lytton thing didn't need to exist. He could have been the master. I mean, yeah. he was fantastic. You know, he would have made a good master, wouldn't he? I think. Yeah, definitely. He was brilliant. Yeah. I, the general gist of this serial is that the, the Cybermen are wanting to cause the earth a problem in 1986 which will then mean that their home planet won't be destroyed because they've got rid of the earth which has the knock-on effect of saving their original home planet and they wouldn't have to then move on to telos where they get destroyed on telos as well it's quite convoluted back and forth like timelines and so on which i normally as we've said on previous episodes dan and as i've mentioned quite often to benny on on, on the quantum leap show i do the waiting room I love things like that, the whole butterfly effect, changing one thing, altering something else, and having to really kind of concentrate on your timeline story within your story. Yeah. But here, it was, again, I'm, gonna, I'm literally just going to coin a phrase you've used because it was spot on. It's just a garbled mess. Yeah, it really is. Um, stuff like that is good when it's done well. We saw it with the, the screwdrivers in Day of the Doctor, 400, 400 years and four yes. seconds. Yeah, perfect um, example, yeah. But this... It comes about so late in the day as well. And I get they were going for a big dramatic reveal because you're there thinking, what are they up to? Whose side is Lytton on? What's going on with these two guys who are just bickering constantly who've run away from the, the slave labour camp? Why do they want to blow up Telos? But it all just goes... It's like You try to run it down there. We're going to blow up Telos to go blow up Earth to then stop our planet being blown up. To then, oh, no, I've gone cross-eyed. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's, it, it, yeah, it's, there was an attempt, and I can see what they're going for. It was just, like I say it again, just executed poorly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that if you were to watch other Cybermen stories, other Cybermen serials directly before this, and then watch this you'll probably have more of an idea of what is going on i can't vouch for that because i've not done it but i'm assuming that that would help but at the same time i'm, I'm not saying i want things spoon fed to me i like the fact that certain tv programs i enjoy don't insult my intelligence or insult my fandom or my memory of previous stories however you also need to take into consideration people who may not have seen what happened in 1967 or whenever it was but you know, this to, is 20 odd years later they tried to cover that, though. They tried to explain it. It's just, it was all very, you know, ooh, mysterious, mysterious. Look at this mysterious mystery. What we're going to do, what we're going to do. Yeah. And then a big expedition, exposition dump from a bulbous-headed tinfoil alien that, for some reason, had a giant moustache. <laughs> 
I believe you're referring to the, the cryons there, aren't you? Yeah, and even then, the foreshadow of the crimes, I mentioned them every five seconds, and then, oh, look, some of them are alive. Great. Yeah, I mean, again, this is, it's going to seem, again, quite like we're jumping back and forth throughout the story here rather than our usual format of kind of running through the tale. But I suppose it's the best way of covering it, Dan, isn't it, really, with the, this this garbled mess, as you called it. The Cryons, as Dan said, are mentioned quite a few times. They were the original race that inhabited Telos. The Cybermen, in theory, wiped them out to take over that planet. So they're supposedly n- no longer alive. They're extinct, however you want to word it. But some of them have survived, and we find that out in this story here. And like like Dan said, it's, it's supposed to... It's, it's supposed to be a big reveal oh my goodness there are some of these things still around but it's so telegraphed of how much they talk about them it's just and again it's, it's almost like another it's almost like the anti-hero aspect of the doctor character the darker more sinister doctor and the kind of clever jumping back and forth in the timeline and if we do this the butterfly effect will mean that this will happen and so on it's almost like the idea was there but the execution was piss poor they just literally just missed it by a mile yeah, it's you see. I'm, I'm a big video game fan. You see it all the time in games when a game will have all the elements of something that is good. Like it'll have, you know, you'll have your big open world. The graphics will be amazing. The control scheme will be exactly what you think it should be, but it still leaves you thinking it's just a bit shit because yeah. the writing's not on point. The voice acting's bad. The you know any number of things where it's got all the you've got all the ingredients but you've combined them in the wrong order so instead of a cake you've got a splat yeah <laughs> and this okay, was so, a this was a big old splat so and we've it, got garbled mess and a big old splat <laughs> i will i'll give it some credit there, there was some solid wee wee beep boop even yes. early on when the tardis sets off and it's all like wibbly wobbly and distorted that was pretty good I quite like that. Um, yeah. But then you get stuff like the the, the obvious foreshadowing with um, with Haley's Comet. And yeah. so, you know, saying, oh, well, Haley, Haley's Comet is associated with disaster. Really? Who who knows that? Uh, it, it, it's not even like it's a dropaway line. It, it lingered. Mm. <laughs> Haley's Comet is associated with disaster. Pause. And then the doctor says, no, it's not. You know what nonsense, and then lo and behold, the data, the side men are going to use Haley's comet to blow up Earth. Maybe, yeah. In it was theory. never made quite clear. Yeah, and actually, yeah, just before that, towards, sorry, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to rant again as well. Just okay. before that, when the TARDIS is going, we will be boop. They end up on Earth, and uh, Perry says it's a bit anticlimactic getting to uh, getting to Earth after a journey like that because you know it was they were going all over the shop, and the Doctor calls her an ungrateful wretch. <laughs> all things, and I've got, this is this is my notes of a bit. Fucking hell, he's a miserable twat who wants his balls looking for waking up, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, very much. Just, so. Yeah, I, oh, such a tosser. <laughs> There's also a couple of moments here as well with, with regards to that when the TARDIS first materialises on Earth and turns into a cabinet initially here. In a way, I, I did quite enjoy that because of, because the Doctor is just such such an asshole in this story, and he's determined to fix the chameleon circuit and have it doing what it should be doing. The fact that it you know sort of turns into things that aren't quite right gives Perry the opportunity to have a dig at him and go, "Oh right, yeah, that's not working very well, is it?" I got a little kick out of that because it's almost like she's getting her own back for how he's been. But then we come yeah. straight away back to references that could be so clever that aren't explained. The doctor point, you know, the doctor notices that the the place where they materialised or a place where they're walking past is a, a scrapyard at seventy six Totters Lane. Now, mm. to you and I, Dan, we know that's where the very first episode of Doctor Who started, and the uh, the, the episode we reviewed recently had a throwback to it as well, the fiftieth anniversary and so on. Yeah, that's where the TARDIS was initially. He refers to Perry with his scrambled mind after the regeneration. He refers to Perry as Susan who is the name of his granddaughter. But it's just yep. so throwaway that it's clever to those who already know, but I imagine there'd be so many people who don't already know that miss the point. And that, to me, is a real shame. Yeah, and it, again, it boils down to bad writing and bad direction. Mm. It's, I'm feeling like Chris Jericho, you bad uh, a shit idea from bad creative. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's 
one thing I did like about it, I did like the fact that they had it in there. But like you say, it could have been so much better. And Perry, Perry looks at him and says, it's, since he regenerated, it's those, his memory's been put through the meat grinder. And uh, he, he says he's, uh, he's called a Tegan, Zoe, Susan, Jamie. He calls yeah. them slips of the tongue. And she says, more like slips of the mind. And he asks him, and she asks him about who is, who is this terrible Zodi? And he kind of gets all wistful and said, um, you know, they don't make villains like her anymore. A woman of rare guile and devilish cunning. And it's like, I think it, it was meant to be endearing. Mm. But it just came across as that it, 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 felt, it felt similar to when somebody spends all the time with a new, with, you know, somebody, you hear it a lot. Some people are on dates and they've just been constantly talking about their ex. Yes. <laughs> That's what it yep. gave across, and then they had that. I think it was supposed to be comedic wandering about as they're trying to find the the, um, uh, the the distress signal that they've gone to Earth for. Oh, going in the wrong direction and doubling back all the time. Yeah, and she's always a few steps behind and can't keep up with him. But I think that was meant to be comedic, and it was just annoying. Mm. Yeah, very sort of. He, the doctor, he came across like he was very much in charge, purposeful, striding, and come along, Perry, follow me, and all this sort of stuff. But it came across just a kind of like a dickish move in the way he was behaving. And then Perry following him came across quite ditzy and quite, uh, I don't know, bimbo-esque, I suppose, by the way she was like this, this little pop, lost puppy following him around at times. And I don't think it lent, as you said, Dan, it's supposed to have been funny, but I don't think it helped either character in the way they wanted it to. No, because it, the doctor just didn't know where he was going and Perry was just along for the ride and, and this was one of those times where she felt like a bit of a spare part. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's I suppose if, if the idea, like you said, was for this to be funny, it's another occasion where they've completely missed the mark. And it seems to be a reoccurring theme that we're coming across in, the, in this two-parter, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's, we'll get to some bits that we liked eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't. It, again, that did nothing for me. And I know we're jumping around and about the stories again, but this is around about where the bank robber story, uh, sorry, the diamond stealer story, and the doctor and, uh, and Perry start to start to come together. Mm -hmm. It's very slowly because the signal takes them to uh, to the yard that the at this point the, the diamond thieves uh, have used to get into the sewers, and it's. Um, it, we we get sort of the first or the second hint of what's going on with the Cybermen because the uh, one of the um, robbers, Payne, um, thinks they're being followed, so goes for a look. And it's a typical thing. You never split up in a horror movie and stuff like that um, because he gets shoved, in, grabbed by the throat, shoved into the wall, and we get this wee-woo-boot-boot boot moment with the, the sort of the, the distortion on the screen and the different colours and the static, and he's quite obviously being deaded. Do you know what that reminded me of? When it when it oh. went to, to the different colours and so on. When I was a kid, I had a ZX Spectrum. Right. Okay. And one of the first things that I was taught by the, the the book that you got with it and the magazines you could buy and so on was how to write really straightforward, simple things for this computer to do. Mm. So you would write, load, and then use the speech marks and bits and bobs, and each number was relevant to a colour that the computer could produce, and it could literally only produce like 10 colours and all this mm. sort of stuff. When you pressed go, it, you'd have like scrolling text in a certain colour, or you'd make the screen flash between two different colours. This is exactly what my old Spectrum looked like. when, <laughs> when, when and, and it was like, I, I think it was like button six or button seven was like magenta, which is this like bright purpley, pinky kind of colour. Yeah. It was the exact colour they had on this episode of Doctor Who when these people were getting killed off. It looked like it was made by, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old me on my ZX Spectrum. It was that. Which is, which is never a good thing. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's not. I mean, the, the Spectrum came out in, what, 82? This is 85. You'd think the consumer a TV programme as well. It would have moved on a little bit. <laughs> you'd least. hope so. Yeah, you'd hope so. Um, but uh, I was saying I was going to come on to something I'd li I liked. Um we're in the yard that the thieves have been using. The doctor nearly falls down the hole, and the doctor and Perry have been have been followed by some very obvious fake coppers, mm. <laughs> which again is completely telegraphed. Um, you know, it could it could have been good. It's a nice idea, but it's not brilliant. Um, Perry's had a gun pointed at her, um, and she, she she yells, "He's got a gun, doctor!" And he just says, "I'm not blind, Perry." 
as he comes out of the hole. Um, but I'll give him credit; it was a pretty slick move to get the gun away from the copper, mm. um, yeah. which was uh, which you know fair fair news. And then we get Perry throwing something at the uh, another copper's face and grabbing the gun, which was really good. You know, a bit mm. more action yeah. than I expected, and uh, yeah, decent moment for for the doctor and a decent moment for Perry. The bit that followed this as well, because obviously they then go down into the sewers, don't they, to follow this signal, and, and, and this is where they start encountering the Cybermen, and, and everything starts kicking off. Perry's wearing these these very of-the-time shorts, mm. and she wants to bring the gun with her for protection. And, and yeah. the Doctor normally would be very much a case of, no, no guns, get rid of it, etc., etc. But he's quite okay with this. So we're seeing again... Uh, and we'll come to the difference in the doctor's mentality towards violence and so on in, in a moment. But you're kind of getting it hinted at here that he's okay with that. But Perry literally just quick as a flash checks the gun over, unscrews the silencer, throws it on the floor because with the silencer on, the gun won't fit in the pocket of her shorts. And it's yeah. just, it, it, I thought, okay, Perry's either an absolute badass or they've not thought that moment through. Because <laughs> I'm sort of thinking, fair <laughs> play, Perry, that's good thinking. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Why would this lady know how to do this? You know. <laughs> well, Perry is American. Ah, fair point, yeah. And, you know, there, there is a gun culture in America, so it's yeah. entirely plausible that she'll know how, to handle, a, how to handle that's a piece. A um, <laughs> just after this, I really like the interaction with, um, uh, with between Lytton and, uh, and Griffith. When uh, when he says you know when Lytton says step back or that wall will come down, and Griffith says you know how thick is it and Lytton just says less than you, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just you got Brian Glover just standing there. That's not very kind, Mister Lytton. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> and you get that tension which sort of goes throughout. Those two interacting was a real high point, especially especially later on when they're in front of the Cybermen. Oh, that's Griffith, exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, Griffith is taking the piss. Um, <laughs> it's, but there's another. Griffiths is subjected to one of the best put downs I've heard in the in the run of this show. So you know, Lytton says to him, "You know, Griffiths. When I look at you, I wonder why your ancestors bothered to climb out of the primordial slime." Ah, <laughs> oh, it is great. It's gold. Lytton again. We come back to him here. Some of the lines he has, and, and as you said, some of the interactions he has with his with his diamond robbing cohort here make this for me because mm. this, that, that's probably. There are high highlights in this two-parter. There was enough there for me to watch and think, okay, that was all right. But the definite peaks were Lytton and Griffiths. Their interactions and so on, for me, are the the top highlight of the programme. Yeah, definitely. It's without a question and without a doubt. It's it's a great dynamic between the two. Um, it, it provides some moments of... It manages to be both, both comedic and quite tense. With mm. some of the insults that are thrown around, but there was a real serious bit where the uh, the cryons are saying they need Lytton and Griffiths to help them. You know, Griffiths has been sort of is going to be sort of suckered in with the promise of two million pounds worth of uncut diamonds because diamonds are so prevalent on Telos because they actually yeah. get to there. And uh, it was <laughs> it was Griffiths saying, uh, you know, this is why Lytton didn't tell you, and it, it, Lytton didn't tell him, and. He has sort of a moral dilemma of saying, "Well, yeah, I want them. I want the money, but this is why two men are dead because you didn't tell me what was going on. You know, two men have died and it wasn't of their making. But Lytton just washes his hands of it. It wasn't of my making either. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a real sort of good insight into both characters. Yeah, Lytton's very much a a, a very cold, you know, almost a businessman, a mercenary, I guess." And you know he's in the first, his first appearance in Doctor Who. He was basically working for the Daleks, which says a lot about anyone's character, I think. So yeah, yeah, it does, and it's, it's obvious that he's you know the Doctor knows who he just by flat out says he knows who he is, and they've got a history, and uh, they're talking about talking about you know how did the Dal how did the Cybermen's original planet die? How what happened to Mondas? And it was you know it's quite obvious that that it was the Doctor's doing. Yeah, because the doctor stopped them on Mondas and and destroyed the home and has set off this chain of events. It's you very much spend the, the episode thinking that Lytton's the big bad, or the, the sort of the brains behind the behind everything, and he's manipulating it somehow. And it turns out he's it turns out he's actually a good guy. He's just got yeah. some very questionable methods. That was a really nice twist because he's actually been hired by the Cryons to to help them and to stop the Cybermen. So they're effectively on the same side. A, a 
Peter Lytton and the Doctor. It's just the Doctor sort of stumbled in and is essentially wrecking the plan. Yeah, and it is that kind of... I, I suppose it's like, it's like a double back and forth, really, because you think Lytton is in it for himself and the Diamonds, and then there's the swerve that he's actually part... He's actually aligned with the Cybermen, potentially. Then you find out he's not, he's with the Cryo, and it's not... We've, we find out eventually he is working for the Cryons, but beforehand, it's really heavily hinted at other things. So it's quite cleverly done with him throughout this 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 whole, I suppose, 90 minutes. It's, it's quite... His character is quite you know, back and forth, I suppose, from side to side, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the, the Lytton portion of things was very well done. Uh, you know, give credit where it's due. We've, we've shat on a lot of this episode now. I'll shit on a lot more of it. But I can't really fault anything <laughs> that they did um, as far as Lytton goes. It, it was mm. a great... It was <laughs> it was a great sort of twist in the in the tale where he's, you know, he's allied with the sad men, he's found him, and then, oh, wow, he's an alien. Um and then, you know, oh, he's actually double-crossing the Daleks. Sorry, the, the Cybermen Daleks. Where did they get that from? Jesus, I am all over. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he's actually double-crossing the uh, the Cybermen. And then he's even he's taken away for cyber conversion. Yeah. And he's partway through, and it, it's thanks to him. Essentially thanks to him that everybody gets away. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I suppose there's a couple more things that I really want to really want to cover that we can sort of dive into, I suppose. Yeah. First of all, the cryons themselves, <laughs> they've got, they've got to survive in ridiculously cold temperatures that comes into the, into the plot here and there, because obviously that's why Telos was necessary because of how cold it was and they could mm. build bit, build frozen cities and so on. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the cryons themselves, what was your thoughts on them and their involvement and their kind of, to me, annoying voice? <laughs> yeah, the the cryon, the look and the sound of the cryons, I could file it under. They did the best they could do for the money that they had. They looked awful, and you know we've been lenient and kind to things that are of its time and would have looked good at the time. These would have looked shit in any era. Um, I put these up with the uh, the Slitheen from the Eccleston series, where they were just big green bulbous monsters that were blatantly made of you know, blatantly made of whatever like plastic and whatever. This was sort of them, but the the, the sort of the species themselves and then whatnot. They, it was fine. I understand that you know the, the conquered race or that everybody thought extinct. Fine, that's pretty standard. Um, and the, you know the temperature thing makes sense from a narrative perspective because they've, they've got to get to a point where this whole place blows up and what better yeah. way to do it than have an explosive that nobody knows is an explosive until it's exposed to a you know to room temperature mm. and have the whole thing go boom that's absolutely fine the, the voice is grated they were, they were just very odd I'll put, I'll put it this way they were that annoying that I wasn't really sad that they were extinct <laughs> Oh, that's probably the most time travel wibbly wobbly put down that we've had on the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> it was they, they were not good. We will beat boop. They were not good. We will beat boop. No, they were not. <laughs> um, a couple of the people who played cryons, though, when I looked this up, I'm always intrigued to find out who's behind the silly makeup and the bubble wrap, mm. you know, and the, the sort of gloopy devices and the mechanical whatever. Uh, there was one lady called Faith Brang who was quite a well-known actress who did comedy and so on in the 80s and ended up on a, a series of I'm a Celebrity in the early 2000s. A oh. blonde lady, she was there. And the one that really stood out to me was Sarah Green, who hosted Blue Peter and Going Live. It might be a little bit before your time now. Oh. Do you remember Going Live with Philip Schofield on Saturday morning? Oh, vaguely. Very, very... Do you remember vaguely. Live and Kicking? Yes, Okay, Live and Kicking, there you go, that's the difference in age between you and me then. Not much, but enough to separate those two. Live and Kicking <laughs> took over the, the the kids' Saturday morning TV from Going Live. Right, got you, and, yeah. And going Live was the pretty much exactly the same sort of format, show a few cartoons, have guests on and so on. And it was hosted by Philip Schofield and this blonde lady called Sarah Green. And Sarah Green also went on to host Blue Peter for many years when I was younger. And Sarah Green was one of the crowns. Oh, fair enough. So, cool. yeah. Bit of a funny yeah, nice. one for me, that was. Nice little tie yeah. Yeah. 
secondly then cryons aside our other big dominant aliens in this serial is obviously the cybermen what are your thoughts on the cybermen here and then ultimately linking in with the cybermen i suppose the levels of violence that we have from them and the doctor and anyone else the cybermen were the cybermen there was nothing nothing sort of stood out to me about them really they're always a decent go-to they're always a fairly decent villain the they were trying to give them a bit more of a threat with the intelligence of the cyber controller and the the prospect of them having time travel and and all the rest of it was was meant to build peril they were very quick to like I say, very quick to violence and murder but it, mm. it, it that sort of struck me as a bit strange because why when the purpose of cybermen is to convert people why were they killing in, in, instead of just taking them back to convert to work for the cause yeah it's, yeah that makes a lot of sense sad. And you know, it's, when you saw the Cybermen being beat by Toberman in uh, in the Troughton serial that we covered, that made Toberman look impressive. Yeah, it was a feat. It was an, an act of almost superhuman strength and will. These Cybermen are getting beat hand to hand by the by the Doctor, and yeah. not even the one who knows all the judo and the martial <laughs> arts. You know. It's, if, if it was if it was John Pertwee, maybe this felt like somebody doing a John Pertwee impression. Yeah, see, I find the Cybermen really contradictory in this because mm. you've got moments like when they crush Lytton's hands, which yeah. is is that that is actually brought up a great deal when when this era of Doctor Who is mentioned as being more violent than the others. Lytton's hands being crushed and the blood coming out by the, by the Cybermen is more often than not the scene that is referenced mm. i find that was, that was pretty cool that was pretty cool by the way yeah yeah i thought it was quite quite dramatic looked looked like it was well done yeah then the cybermen are obviously supposed to be feared and they're these big robotic monsters and they're super strong and you can see that by the way they crush people's hands like litten for example and then they crush griffiths by the head for a little while just to try and like you know torment him and so on then on the other side of the coin they're beaten by two people who are digging up the standard Doctor Who quarry, which is supposed to be Telos on this episode. Yes. That, yeah. they, they just they just wallop him with a stick and his head comes off. And there's an, another one where the Cyberman get the Cyberman gets his arm knocked away relatively easy and yeah. then shoots green stuff out of his chest because he's been shot with a bullet. Now in it, I can remember in the Sylvester McCoy days that if you shot a Cyberman, nothing happened. You have to literally yeah. hit them with, I think it's gold, isn't it, to kill the Cybermen? Uh, I don't know. I think this was the story that Ace ended up shooting gold coins from. Uh, that's the serial that gave me nightmares when I was a child that are quite famously <laughs> spoke about on the show before. So we'll probably cover that in season two, I imagine. I, 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 I don't put it past being one of your picks just to see me squirm. But, um, <laughs> well, it's all right. You just, you just pick the um, the Chris Eccleston two-parter with the Nightmare Child. That'll get ah, you on back easy there. Yeah, good shite, good shite. But I think, I think that, you know, you've seen Cybermen get shot at and it's not an issue in Classic Who and in New Who. Here, he's shot at and he shoots out green stuff and dies. You know, it just seems quite contradictory that they seem they seem this all powerful being, and then they fall apart like you know a loosely made Lego man in the wind. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of this is yeah. This is another sort of symptom of the of the bad writing, um, and you see it all the time in in horror movies, particularly the B horror movies. You know, the ones that are kind of so bad they're good, or sometimes mm. they're just bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, essentially, the Cybermen become whatever the plot needs them to be. Right, so there's yeah. no consistency. There's no th- because the people don't the people writing it don't care about the continuity of it. They just need something to happen here, something to happen there, something to happen at this point. So they just say, right, well, this is what the Cybermen are for now. This is what the Cybermen are now. This is what they're. There's no sort of there's no joined up thinking. And yeah, yeah, it's again garbled mess. <laughs> well, okay, we'll go. We'll go with bollocks. <laughs> Uh, with regards to the violence then there's a few moments that i did want to particularly single out one was the whole lit and hand crushing thing that was quite an important thing but we really really discussed that the moments where the cybermen are on the tardis literally right at the end of episode one and it's like the the i suppose the cliffhanger going into episode two and it continues into the beginning of episode two Mm. 
you have Cybermen literally giving Perry a backhander, wallop, you know, smacking her about. And then you have, I, I believe it was Griffiths, points a gun point blank into a Cyberman's face and just fires and fires and fires. That's yeah. quite, you know, okay, it's it's Doctor Who, it's a, it's a, it's a tin robot, whatever. But that's quite a graphic thing to be seeing, to have this gun literally a, an inch from the Cyberman's face and then the clip just unloaded. You know, and yeah. you can see why people were kind of, whoa, hang on, what's going on here? And then, of course, the Doctor himself is throwing people around left, right and centre, punching people, shooting guns, blowing up Cybermen and so on. Mm. It just seems quite zero to 60 in the blink of an eye for me. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying before. Some people sat down in a room and thought, how do we make this better? How do we bring it into the modern age, you know, of 1985? How do we, you know, how do we keep up with what's going on, you know, elsewhere in TV and entertainment? And the answer was, the correct answer was that you don't. You don't touch it. You bring somebody in, you make little tweaks. Mm-hmm. You don't just jam the handbrake on, do a, you know, do a quick turn and, and go completely the other direction. It's, um, it's like what they did with Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad. Okay. It's like that That whole thing was like people sat down in a room and thought, what does the Joker look like in 2016? I know, we're going to make him look like a fucking douchebag mumble rapper with silver teeth and, and tattoos on his face and make him look an absolute cockend. But also like, a, 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 but also something that's been produced by people who are in corporate rather than something that's genuine. Yeah, I get you. And that's what this feels like. It, it, there's nothing, it's all style and no substance, but the style's also crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. That, that, that Joker comparison's very, very clever, actually. I get what you mean. <laughs> With the Cybermen again, though, I think I don't think it helps that they're quite theatrical. I mean, the Cybermen mm. to me, New Who does this fantastically well. The Cybermen are cold, methodical robots, even though they have human parts and so on. I, I appreciate that. But they are literally that, cold and methodical. The Cybermen in this serial, I suppose, again, looking back at the Patrick Triton one, cold, methodical, robotic. Yeah. In this one here, they're very dramatic. We get moments of the Cybermen looking to camera, double-clenching their fists and going, we will destroy the Doctor. And really sort of, the Cyberman's literally acting to the screen. And it's like, that That was so strange. It's because... It, it, Right, wider entertainment. When you see movies loosely based on another intellectual property, like happens with video games, fucking mm-hmm. over over bald piece of shit. They'll take the intellectual property rights, put the characters and the villains and whatever into a movie, but have no idea what to do with them. Yeah, I get you. And that's what they've done here. They've they've gone, they've gone. What do we? We need more from these Cybermen. I mean, you know, they need to they need to they need to act a bit more. They need to show a bit of emotion. The Cybermen are emotionless robots. Why? What's the point? What? Just stick a drama chip in them and and let them go. (laughs) A drama chip. That's brilliant. You could have like a sitcom chip pretending he's. uh, uh, Rene from Hello Hello, and then you could have um, a, 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 a sort of more dramatic chip in the back of one side man, and he can walk around with the head of a cyber controller, just going, "Ah, I knew him well," and all this sort of stuff. You know, it's <laughs> you can have all sorts of fun with that. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. so exasperating. It was very frustrating because it, it had it had individual elements there to make something, and it just failed at almost every turn apart from the odd bits that we've managed to to pick out and it's quite appropriate that we've not gone through the story mm-hmm. as intended because they never bothered when they put it together and edited it and aired it yeah and, and also i mean i suppose as we sort of come to a close today it'd be interesting as well for people because i know we, we've got people tweeting the show at the doctor who pod on twitter messaging the show speaking to you and me individually as well that who are watching along with us you know, certain people, I want to give a shout, Morty, for example, and so on. They're, they're watching episodes of Doctor Who back with us. Uh, we're using mm. BritBox as well. So I think BritBox should be giving us a kickback for this, but never mind, yeah. we'll discuss that another time. And um, I'm going to be really intrigued that when we have people who are, who are listeners to the show who watch this, now we've not gone step by step through the series like we normally do. 
And I think this is going to make it really interesting when people go back and watch this and then give us their thoughts via Twitter as to what they think, because they can then see the story develop themselves rather than us explaining away plot holes. They will experience yeah. them firsthand, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know what people think. Um, give us a shout. You know, mm. let us know. Let us know if, if you think we're, we're we're right. Let us know if you think we're off base in any aspects. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll fire back and say you're entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Right then. So before we get on to what we will be looking at next week, Dan, what do you want to to summarise this as? That your first real experience with Colin Baker. Uh, your first experience of, I suppose, slap bang in the middle of the 80s, Doctor Who, and Perry, the companion, and, and the, the whole thing in general. What are your your thoughts in summary on this, this two-parter here? I have no inclination to go back and watch any Colin Baker. Uh, after okay. this, I, I find his Doctor that unlikable. Um, he, he's abrasive and arrogant. Perry, I uh, quite like Perry. I'm looking forward to covering more of her with uh, with Peter Davidson. If uh, mm-hmm. she, she said she's in the serial that you're picking there. Yes, yes, definitely. So, yeah, happy with that. Um, happy for more of Perry. The story itself had good elements, but again, it was just the whole thing could be summed up with right idea, wrong execution. And it, it's done, I, I would have been probably one of the people who ended up possibly walking away from Doctor Who in the 80s when uh, when this came about. Or certainly not, certainly less inclined to to keep up with it on a regular basis. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that's a really good point. Walking away in the eighties when you see this sort of thing, and you saying it gives you no inclination to go back and watch any more Colin Baker is a real damning verdict, I think, and says a lot about how this this story is. Me personally, I watched this a while back. I chose it for this look back here as our Colin Baker story for season one of our show. It was between this and Vengeance on Varos. I chose this because I remembered it and thought it was good. I am wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We should have gone with Vengeance on Varos. I hugely apologise. I don't (laughs) feel the need. When I first watched it, I wanted to go back and watch it again. Now I've watched it again. I wonder what I was on the first time I watched it, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit inebriated, perhaps. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, again, it's Doctor Who. I still enjoyed it because it's Doctor Who, but it's very much bottom of the barrel Doctor Who for me at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's easily the worst one we've covered so far. Yeah, I think so. Should have gone with Vengeance on Varos, but never mind, never mind. We all make mistakes. That's it. So then, where are we going to be going, time-wise, doctor-wise, story-wise, next week, Dan? I'm going to give you an option. Okay. Do you want the scary one, or do you want the one that will end up getting a little bit emotionally heavy? Okay. I will throw a question straight back to you. Is Clara mm-hmm. in either of these two? No. Oh, bloody hell, Dan. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll probably I'll probably lean more towards the scary because I don't like getting weepy. I did enough of that over the Hall of Fame this weekend. <laughs> that's, not, that's good. That perfectly fits in then because that means we can go scary, emotional, and then, as far as my picks go, scary, emotional, and then it end with the movie. Okay, same. No worries. Um, so we're going to David Tennant, and we are going to Blink. Oh, God. Blink? Why? David Tennant. Uh, Streep, the Weeping Angels. Man, they are terrifying, and my wife is genuinely freaked out by them. They are creepy, creepy bad guys, creepy villains. They are just brilliant, classic Doctor Who, because they are creepy, scary Doctor Who bad guys, and that's what you should have. I think every generation should have something that scares them from Doctor Who. Anyway... You can find me at SJP Words on Twitter. SJP, all the shows and info is what you need on Facebook, the group there. You get links to all of my shows, articles, and anything else that I'm involved in there on Twitter and Facebook. That's Chain Wrestling that I do with Magsy on a Monday night, and the podcast version comes out later in the week. Nitro Nights I do with Scottish Danny, looking at WCW step by step by step throughout the years, having great fun doing that. The Waiting Room podcast about Quantum Leap, which is returning very, very soon. Season two has been 
recording over the last few weeks. We're getting lots and lots of that in the bank ready to go and we'll start releasing very soon there. You can always, of course, jump back onto Twitter with regards to my own account at SJP Words, all the waiting room itself at the waiting room underscore and listen back to season one if you have missed that in, in preparation for season two coming out very, very soon. You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21 uh, talking about everything that's out of date because I'm like that and I can't keep up. Uh, you can find me on the Unbooking the Territory and Unbunk, uh, Unbooking the Tankatory podcasts. Uh, they're at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank. Uh, UTT is... Uh, all about first and last of wrestling. Tankatory is all about Tank Abbott. However, most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the Doctor Who Pod at the D R W H O P O D. Chuck us a follow. Let us know what you think about. I suppose the damning verdict Dan and I passed out on Colin Baker's story here. Let us know what you want us to look at going forward. Let us know what you're excited about as our season one comes to an end. Let us know any particular stories you'd like us to review and so on for season two. Let us know if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Season two, we're looking at bringing guests on and potentially looking at stories from classic and new who that the guest chooses. So that's going to be quite exciting as well. And all that great stuff. Just make sure you're following the show at the Doctor Who Pod. You're following me at SJP Words, and you are following the awesome Dan Griffin at Dan Griffin Twenty One on Twitter. So that's that for this week. Uh, hopefully, next week's episode will be a little bit more smiley and a lot less Colin Baker. Dan, I'll see you soon, bud. See you soon. Thanks a lot. As always, for Dan and I, thank you for listening. 